This is the day the Lord has made. We're supposed to do what? Rejoice. Dwayne's got us already moving that way, so let's give God all the praise. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise one more time. So, uh, in my spirit, I've been feeling this for the last 24 hours. This is a solemn assembly today. It's not a time to shout. We've had a lot of those services lately. Rejoice. But today is a solemn assembly. I call you to a solemn assembly this morning. As God's Word confronts us, and as we take evaluation of who we really are in Christ. Our, one of two things is happening to our state. Either we're under judgment, or God's using this judgment, and that could be both, to turn the hearts of a lot of folks back to Him. We've been hammered in this state. I thought we were, we're a pretty good state compared to a lot of them as far as loving Jesus. But we got issues here. I know there's a lot of poverty in the mountains, but there shouldn't be. I grew up there. They were making the most money of anybody in this state for many, many years. They didn't honor God. They cared more about other things. But those coal miners, a lot of those guys were six-figure guys long before anybody in this area was. It all comes down to one thing, honoring God. I don't care where you live. I don't care what state you're in, what country you're in. That's the main thing. You need to tell yourself that this morning. When you leave here, the main thing you need to do is honor God. With what, preacher? Everything. Every single thing you have. God needs to be first in it. Amen? Are you ready for some solemn preaching? Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Over. I'll just give you a little briefing here. Uh, you all, most of you seen on the news, it's probably the worst flood that part has ever had. That's what I'm being told. Uh, we had one when I was a little boy. It was further south. So my, my uh, immediate family is fine. But everywhere north of there is... And they're not out of the woods yet. I mean, they're getting more rain today, tomorrow, and maybe the rest of this week. So a lot of stuff going on. Sister Mary lost a bridge. She lost one of her bridges. She's fine. The house is fine, all that. One of her children lost their home. It was quite possibly one of the ones you saw floating down the river because it took it off and took it down the river. Another one lost her home. One of her children had to swim to safety. These are children that are grown, not, not living at the, at, at the children's home any longer. So a lot of mudslides, a lot of roads are down, a lot of bad stuff going on over there. You saw some of the footage on television from uh, Hazard and Whitesburg and other communities that are just underwater. And the problem with that is there's more water coming downstream, I was told last night. So we mobilized some people yesterday from the whale area, down there where the whale's at, <clears throat> the, the other satellite. They took in water and different things. And then we also are mobilizing a whole van full of clothes 
from that area that'll be going there. So what? The Deerings are going up today. They've found a connection up there uh, a little further north than where we're at, but they're going to take some stuff today. They're going to leave us directly after church. But what, what we need immediately uh, this next couple of days, if you want to bring water and cleaning supplies. Uh, and then the food is the next issue, but they're having trouble getting food into some of those places. So I uh, will be working on some of that over the next two days. But I've been consumed with a lot of that over the last day and a half. So just be praying for them. There's a lot of lives been lost. There's a lot more missing. Uh, so we just need to pray that uh, God will help rescue some of those folks. We don't know exactly what's going on behind God's hand. Sometimes He allows things we don't understand. Sometimes He does them Himself. Sometimes He's working this angle, that angle. That's His business. He's way above us. What we know is He can be trusted. We know He has an expected end no matter what's going on. And sometimes the hardest things people go through are their greatest moment to come to Christ. So we've seen a lot of that in people's lives. All of us have seen that where people have had troubled times and, uh, and that it's called them back to God. A lot of those folks down there uh, have, like, like the rest of the country, they've wandered away from God. So maybe God can use this to draw them back in. It's just, we're living in the last days. The Bible says there'll be a great falling away. And sometimes God uses tragedy and circumstances to get our attention. He did that all through the Bible. All through the Bible. And I know people like uh, Franklin Graham, people get mad and curse them out and throw stones at them when they suggest that God may be doing something that's not nice, I guess is the best way to put it. But in the book of Hosea chapter 6, the Bible says that he has torn, but he will heal. He has smitten, but he will bind them up. Who did the tearing and who did the smiting? The Lord did. But he, the Bible says he was going to come back and heal them. And, and, and make them better. A good shepherd, if he's got a wandering sheep, he will break its leg, carry it till it's set and back on his feet, but he'll break its leg to keep it from being devoured by the enemy. I think that's a good God. God is the best father, the best parent in the world. He encourages and he also disciplines. If you're a parent and you only encourage and don't discipline, you're out of balance. If you're a parent and all you do is discipline and you don't encourage your children, you're out of balance. You've got to be healthy. I'm going to show you something that uh, you may have not thought about before. But I want you to go to Revelation chapter 2. And what I want to say to you about Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, now I'm not going to do, my, my point is not to do uh, eschatology this morning. My point is to do practical preaching out of these two chapters. And what I want you to know is, if you want to know how Jesus talks to the church, here it is. This is it. He spoke to the whole world. He spoke to the lost. He spoke to those who believed on Him all through the Gospels. But if you want to know how He talks to His church, did you notice what I said? Whose church is it? His church. If you want to know how Jesus talks to His church, you need to read Revelation chapter 2 and 3, but don't bother. I'm going to do it for you this morning. This is how Jesus, who owns the church, talks to His church. And this is what I've tried to pattern my preaching and teaching after. He encourages some. He rebukes some. He corrects some. He, he, moves, he extols them some. All right? He, re, he reproves some. He exhorts some. He does all the above. 
If you're going to be a good whatever you are, parent or anything else, you're going to have to have the whole toolbox. You know, you can't just be your children's best friend. In fact, that's not the best idea anyway. You've got to be more than that to them. You've got to be a comforter, but you've also got to be a discipliner. And Jesus is all that. And he does that because why? We need it. You know how easy it is to stray. It, it's easy to stray. That's what happens to sheep. And we're not the exception to the rule. And the other, th- the other problem we get into is that we get religious like the Pharisees and the scribes did. Now I'm going to say, if I can say this without crying... I come across something this week that the Holy Spirit I know intended for me to learn. Back before the Maccabean Rebellion, now listen, this is going to sound eerily close to what's going on in our world today in the church. The Jews started using the temple for athletics. Notice that. In this culture, sometimes the gym is more important to some churches than the sanctuary. Come on now. I tell you what we've lost in our culture is the reverence and the fear of the Lord. And it's even in the church. So before the rebellion, that because they saw how God's people were stranded. Now we give the Pharisees and the scribes a lot of harsh treatment. But they weren't that way in the beginning. The Pharisees were the guys who stepped up and became the separatists and said, Hey, we can't, we've quit sacrificing and made God's temple a gym? This went on. They were throwing discs in the temple. I knew it was going to get quiet. That's what was happening. And so they started a revival, this revolt, because the Romans, now listen, had come in with their Hellenistic views and started handing them off to the Jews. So the Jews developed an attitude, just like the modern church has, that God's okay with whatever we do, just as long as we show up and sing. That's the same attitude that's crept into the American church. God's okay with everything. God's not okay with everything. And God is wanting us to follow His will and to honor Him and to reverence Him. And so they, the scribes were set up, they came about because they were there to intently keep people focused on what God's Word was saying to them. And that's where the trouble came. All the trouble came. Then these guys, over time, like a lot of folks do, they develop religious attitudes and they make it more about the system than they do about the relationship. So now we got priests, churches, denominations that are so filled with what we call religiosity, because they got Hellenized, pun intended. They got Hellenized by the culture, and they just said anything goes. We're good with it. You know, there were certain people that weren't allowed to even come into the temple until they repented, because it was so disgusting to God. We know that Jesus has opened the way for us, but I want to say this as loud as I can. I've said this from the pulpit for years. The, the standard didn't drop when the New Testament. I don't know where we started, got that idea and started preaching. In fact, the standard went up. The, the Bible says, do not murder. Thou shalt not murder. Jesus said you can kill somebody with your tongue. That's not dropping the standard. That's raising it up. 
we've been given more power and authority to live that standard thanks to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. So let's see what Jesus would say to His churches. This is after the resurrection. Jesus is addressing His, his church that is located in different locations. And this is how Jesus talks to His church. There are three things I want you to think about. Uh, these are real churches, so they're established and planted. These are the three things I want you to think about. They speak to us prophetically. They speak to us of the church age. And then they speak to us of our own personal condition. So when we, we go through here, I want you to think about where you fit. Which church, if you were real with yourself, and you looked, and everybody needs to hear this. Are we live? Everybody needs to hear this. I don't care who's listening to me. Everybody needs to hear this today. You, you need to evaluate your life and see where it is that you fit in. Which church, and do you like that where you're fitting in at? Or should you change and fit in in a different way? So in Ephesus, he says, the angel of the church of Ephesus right? These things says, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who, ta- who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience. And that Greek word is hupomene, and it means consistency. It does mean patience, but that's only part of the meaning. It's consistent. So basically he's saying, I know your works, your labor, that you're consistent, you're faithful, you're patient, you endure, that you cannot bear those who are evil. Right? I can't stand it either. I, sometimes I just think, how crazy can this culture get? And then something from the church comes up. Somebody from the church, a few couple years back I was watching, said abortion is a blessing. They were part of the church. They said that from the position of the church. And I think, I hate evil too. How, how crazy can we get in this nation? He says, and you have taste, uh, tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience, there's Hupomene again, and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. All encouragement, right? The Lord's encouraging them. Good thing. He's giving them encouragement. Then look what He does. Nevertheless. Now He's talking to a church that's hanging in there and, and getting it done, right? They're getting a lot done. But He said, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And notice closely, he didn't say lose. He said left. So what happens to Pharisees and scribes and church folks over the years? They get more caught up in the doing than the being. Right? And so they start getting identified by what they do, not who they are in Christ. And a lot of times that's how that's, that becomes their whole motto, right? I go to church because I am this. And this is what I do. And just so you know, all the churches are going to burn to the ground too someday. So relationship, right? We forget about this relationship. They left their first love. They left it. They didn't lose it. They left it. Because maybe being notoriety or whatever, like the Pharisees and the scribes. I want to remind you, the Pharisees and scribes did not start off wrong. And I've shared this before, but a friend of mine who knew uh, James Jones said he didn't start off wrong either in Indianapolis. Said he was, the Lord was blessing him and using him, and somewhere he got off track, wound up in San Francisco, wound up in Guyana, and then drunk the Kool-Aid and had everybody else drinking. But they said you could go to his services when he was in Indianapolis. This guy was one of his contemporaries who preached in the city the same time he did and said God was moving in his church. But somewhere... He got sideways. 
The devil is not going to stop trying to get Christians to go sideways. Because, let me just remind you of this, there's a few, a few that are trying to faithfully serve God in the world. Many are out there, and guess what? Satan's already got on them. So he can focus his attention primarily on believers to try and discourage, disappoint, do all kinds of things that would cause us to get sideways with God. And it happens. It happens. And then he says, he says, uh, you've left your first love. And I'm going to, when I teach in Revelation this fall, when we start that, we'll start dissecting. I just want to get, get you to see what you can think about about ourselves. I want you to look at yourself when you think about, when you read these things. He says, you've persevered, but I've got this against you. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly. Remove the lampstand from its place. You and I should be identified as sons and daughters of God. That's where we should get our identity. Whatever mantle He hands off you or task, those things can come and go, right? The, the task can change. You may have a task for this season, then He may hand you off another task for the next season, but your identity and my identity is found in Christ. This is why Michael Vick was cast to the wayside by everybody except Tony Dungy, who is a believer, uh, who went and led him to Christ back in the day, but because he had no value to the culture except on the football field. And so when he was no longer doing that, the culture was through with him, ESPN and everybody else. But Tony Value knew that he had uh, uh, value beyond that, so he went to minister to him in prison and wherever else he was at. That, that, that's what we got to get out. Your value is in Christ. That's your value. That's what makes us valuable, being sons and daughters of Him. You cannot get your identity in a mantle, in a task, or that. You've got to get your identity. You are a son and a daughter of God. Let me say this. If my tongue were to fall out of my mouth today and I could not preach anymore the rest of my life, I would still be just as valuable to God. He would love me just the same. He wouldn't love me any less. I'd still be his son and he'd have another plan for my life. So we got to understand that our value is in being a son and a daughter of Christ. And then he says, I want you to go back to that where you fell away from, get back to it. And Israel was backsliding all the time. And let's just be honest, we all backslide a little bit. You may catch yourself a couple of days down the road thinking, man, I've let this go or I've let that go. That's what we call sliding backwards. And so he says, nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do your first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. So he had encouraged them a lot, but he had some issues, right? That's how Jesus talks to his church. And he says, but this, is, this you have, that you hate the deed of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And that is, that is democracy rule in the kingdom of God. That's what the Nicolaitans were for. They didn't want God. To, that, you know where that started at? That started with Saul. They started with Saul. They said, we don't want you to be our king. We don't want your line of authority coming down through Samuel. We want a king like everybody else. That's where it started. They rejected And the Nicolaitans were the ones driving that on and on and on. And so they, were, they, they hated that. They, they wanted God to be their authority. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So he's talking to all of us. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Overcome. Now, this word is a form of what you know and I've used a lot, Nike. 
It is nikeo is the form of this. It is the verb form of Nike. This is a word we use a lot in our culture with shoes, and it means victory. It's what it means. That's what Nike means. Over here, it's the verb form, so it means to gain. Now, I don't think we should be so shocked when trouble comes. Because every one of these churches are told to be, they're told to to nikeo, to overcome. They're told to gain the victory. So when you get battles, you should rejoice like the people in the New Testament. They rejoice. I'm talking to myself too. We rejoice when battles come because we've got something to overcome. Jesus told this same line to all seven of these churches. For him to say that meant that every one of us were going to have things to overcome. Why do we get knocked off our saddle every time something tough comes by? You're going to have obstacles in your life. The devil's your adversary. He's going to throw up obstacles and God's going to allow it. But what's God after? God don't want sissies and complainers in heaven. He wants overcomers. He wants overcomers in heaven. People who found, So as you look at these seven churches, they're all told to overcome. He that overcomes. So there's going to be things for all of us to overcome. Every one of us. We're going to have things that we have to overcome. Now, I say this a lot. You're never disqualified unless you quit. Keep moving. Move forward. Keep striving. Paul said none of us have strived to, to blood yet like Christ did. Just keep striving. Keep striving till you go over and be an overcomer. That's who's going to be in heaven. You know who's going to be in heaven? Overcomers. Now, we've learned this a lot over the years. You have to do that in your own strength. You've got to come to Christ. In Him we live and move and out of our being. That's how we can overcome. But it doesn't change the fact that there's going to be obstacles in everybody's way. And we shouldn't fall all to pieces every time an obstacle comes our way. God's creating overcomers. That's what He's doing in all of us. Overcomers are the ones that's going to be in heaven. He gives us great instruction here. And then the next church, he says, the angel of the church of Smyrna, right? These things, says the first and the last that was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. Do you know what an upswing that is? People that are not actually, I mean, and he mentions that twice in this. People that are just flying and, and lying and the apostles and the Jew, people that say they're Jews or not, apostles and not, but our synagogue of the Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you have, are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. He gave my heads up and he's not going to stop it. He's going to let them. Now, I know this crushes a lot of modern day theology where Jesus gives everybody a Cadillac and a, and a, a gold, gold thermos full of coffee or whatever, lattes, whatever you sip on. And he says, the, indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful. What did he say? He didn't say, uh, call a lawyer. He didn't say, get you a blanket pillow. You're going to be there for a while. He said, be faithful. I think Jesus is a little more in our face than we, than we think. He says, the devil's going to throw you into prison. He never even said, I wish he wouldn't. I wish he didn't. I'll be praying for you. He just said, you know he's going to be praying for you though. He said, be faithful. He told Peter, he said, Satan's going to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. He didn't say, I'm going to stop him. In fact, he didn't stop him. Peter was sifted like wheat. So, don't, you don't want to be the only one in heaven sitting over there 
that nobody wants to hang out with because you ain't never been through nothing. <laughs> you got to be an overcomer. And now's the time we need to praise the most. The Bible says He inhabits our praises. We need to praise Him when it's tough. We need to praise Him when hard times come. It's going to be easy over there. Don't tell me how much you're going to praise Him on the other side. Everybody's going to be doing it over there. It's the thing to do. Right now is when we need to praise Him. Can you say amen? In the hard times, that's what lets our light shine. When they see us going through the same things or even worse, and they see us saying, God's in charge. First thing Sister Mary said to me when I finally got through to her was, the Lord's been good to us. First thing out of her mouth. That's who we are. This world's not our home. I love what John Wesley said. Somebody ran up to him. John Wesley was a guy who at the end of the year gave all the money he'd accumulated if he hadn't used it and given it away and gave it away and started from scratch every year. Trust in God. That's radical, ain't it? We're going to take up an offering now. But somebody, they said, they ran to John Wesley and said, your house is on fire. And he said, that's not my house. said, it belongs to the Lord. Boy, that's where we all got to sit, right? Everything we have has come from his hand, right? We're going to have obstacles. You're going to have trouble. And Jesus sometimes is going to say, hey, get up and let's go. He's not going to stroke you on your hair and put a Band-Aid on. He's going to say, get up and let's go. Joshua tried that with God once, right? They got whipped at Ai and he went down crying, wallowing on the ground. God said, get up i got something to say to you. This is Jesus talking to his church. Listen to what else he said. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil's going to throw you in prison. We talked, be faithful until death. How much to be faithful? He didn't tell them they were getting out of prison. He didn't tell them what was going to go on in prison. Watchman Nee was tortured. I don't know if any of you have read Watchman Nee, but if you're not, you need to start reading it. Watchman Nee is one of the most prolific writers about relationship with God that I've ever read. Sometimes I'll read his books and just shut them and cry for 10 minutes and pick them back up. Uh, and he was being tortured while he wrote, come together with the Song of Solomon, which is unarguably the best commentary on the book of Solomon that's ever been written. But he was being tortured while he was writing on his relationship with his God. And it's beautiful. The best, single best commentary ever been written on the Song of Solomon. And the guy's doing it who's being persecuted. We're going to go through some tough times. Cheer up, saints. It's going to get worse. We're going to go through some tough times. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We need to rise above them. Right? We need to be the people who say, hey, we win. I know there's trouble right now, but we win. We're on the winning side. Then he tells them, he says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says in the churches. He who, there's this Greek word again, Nikao. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So who's he talking to? Overcomers. What do overcomers suggest? There's going to be things to overcome. If he's calling a, the, win, the ones who win, that's probably not the best choice of words, the ones who get over and live forever with him, whatever you want to say, if he's calling them overcomers, then that tells us there's going to be things to overcome. And sometimes Jesus is going to encourage us, and sometimes He's going to give us a quick, a swift kick in the seat of our pants and tell us to get up, let's go. And in, he, in the next church, He said, uh, the angel of the church of Pergamos, these things He says, He who has a sharp two-edged sword, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name. So these people are in the heavy persecution. 
like Stephen is in Nigeria, and he and did not deny my uh, and Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith even in the days when Antipas was my faithful martyr. Now you think about that. For you to get called out by Jesus in the book of Revelation by name, you must have been the real deal. And Antipas, we don't know a whole lot about him, but he was a contemporary of John the Baptist, probably one of his disciples, they believe. And he was, they believe, boiled alive. Antipas was boiled, roasted. I'm sorry, roasted alive. Much like John Huss. John Huss was tied to the stake, and they burned him at the stake, and he was singing worship and praise to God as, he, as his life was extinguished. When I read about some of our guys that we know in the New Testament and the Old, I tell you what, I just feel like I, we need to pick it up. Some of these, and, and, and here's what we, I try to stay above the discouragement at looking at a nation that we have and see how far gone it's away from God. I mean, it's, it's sad. And it's disheartening. But God told us it was going to be this way. He told us we we're going to live. I mean, it's, it's horrendous what the world has stepped into and how much we've forgotten God. So he tells these guys, he says, Antipas was a faithful martyr who was roasted. That's how he, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. And what, the reason he's encouraging them, you see that? Antipas was like the next John the Baptist on the way, or excuse me, uh, John the Revelator on the way, and he died. And a lot of people would have took off running, but they didn't. You remember I read you some stuff from church history when the plague hit. How the Christians were different than everybody else. How they loved people, nursed them back to health. How many of the Christians lost their lives too when the plague hit. Because they felt like they had a higher calling. So these guys are hanging in there even though their faithful leader gets wiped out. I remember when I was in high school, we were playing football one night, and the meanest guy in the whole school, not just on the team, the meanest guy in the whole school played football. And we played this team, and he got hit, and he laid there on the ground. And, and everybody over there was thinking, we didn't have no business playing this team to start with, but he just laid on the ground, and all of us, our eyes were that big, were thinking, if Butch is can't hang with this we're all in trouble the coach went out there to him and said where'd they hit you he said all over <laughs> <laughs> he broke his arm it was a mess and the rest of us were thinking like huh, we don't do we want to go out there because it looked like a college team they were like a state champion in the state of Tennessee we didn't have no business playing them at that moment in our career <laughs> But we're all afraid. We all got afraid because the guys were just a different caliber team than we'd ever seen. And we all had some fear in us. We did play and finish the game because our coach was a good motivator. But that's kind of the same things going on here. These, these people watched their leader get roasted and they're hanging in there. Now I want to ask you a question. What would cause you to go back? Hopefully nothing. What would cause us to turn back? 
These people hung in there. They're right in the middle of the fire. He said, but I have a few things against you. You'd think he would just kind of be nice to them because they're under the gun. But no, he's got a few things to say. He said, i got a few things against you because you have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you have also hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which is... The, the rule by the people instead of by God, which thing I hate, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So, I mean, he's encouraging them, but he's also pointing out the things. And he, you know what? He could do the same thing in all of our lives. Let's be real. God, he's that real. He, he, he would be that real with us. Jesus would be that real in our lives. And I hope you're spending time with him every day where he can be that real with you and say, we don't need to be living right here. We don't need to be engaged in that. We don't need to be not doing that. You should be doing that, right? Whatever it is, we need to let the Lord be real and not go to the temple and do something good to overcome what Jesus is trying to get our attention about. That's, what, that's when we become religious. Jesus is trying to get our attention about something like He does these churches, and we leave there and we go stand in the soup kitchen line and feed people, which is good and necessary, but we try to use that to compensate for what He confronted us on. Right? Am I talking to anybody? That's how the flesh works. The flesh works if we don't want to embrace God in some area of your life, and you just want to keep doing it the way you're doing it, then you want to, but you, you've got that dichotomy going on, right? The Lord and all that, and so you run over here and do something good, hoping it'll offset. That's not how God works. That's not how He works. You don't offset this with doing something over here. Jesus is after us. And He's after us so that we would be overcomers in whatever we face in our lives. He says, He who has an ear, so He's talking to all of us, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. There's that word again. I will give the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him white stone. On the stones a new name written that no one except, knows except him. So He's talking about overcomers. The next church. The thing says to God to the church of Thyatira, who has eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass. I know your works. So He's commending. Right? I know your works, your love, your service, your faith. Now, you know what? A good coach does both. And here's what's trouble to me. Now, you are not like this for the most part. But you, you go out to the football field, and a coach will be chewing somebody out, grab them by the helmet or whatever, and you're like, pour it on them, buddy. Get, get them straightened out where they need to be. But the preacher, don't tell us where we need to straighten up at. I, I'm amazed that nobody wants that ex- and, and I, you are not this way, but the, the culture is this way in the church world. They don't want anybody to lie to them but the preacher. You don't want the doctor to come out and find a tumor and say, no, nah, there's nothing there. Didn't see a thing. You don't want your financial guy to come out and say, no, uh, your account's fine. It's lost 80%. You don't want that from anybody. So you shouldn't want that from the Lord either. You, we should love. The Bible says He chastens those whom He loves. So He corrects us. Sometimes He corrects us with His words. Sometimes He breaks a lamb's leg to carry it, so it'll be corrected. So this church at Thyatira, he's got some good things to say. He says, and your patience as for your works, the last are more than the first. (laughs) That's interesting. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and and eat things sacrificed to idols. And those things go hand in hand. Uh, idolatry is right on the heels of sexual immorality. You can see that with Israel. Because if you give yourself over so far to sexual immorality, 
then you've got to find an, a God that's okay with that. And so that's why Israel went from worshiping one God to idolatry because they had gotten so loose in their morality and their living, they had to change gods, right? Because they couldn't, they knew Jehovah was not in on that, so they had to go to Molech and Estra and all those different gods, Balaam and all those. And I gave her time, now look at this. I, when I was worshiping today, I was just embracing and thinking about some situations with some people that I love about how long-suffering God is. And I think about that myself when I look in the mirror too. How long-suffering God is. Look what he said to this. This woman's causing chaos in the church, right? And this is the representative of that spirit of Jezebel from the Old Testament. We understand that. Said, but she's doing everything backwards. And I gave her time to repent. God gave her time to repent. He didn't just come in and wipe her out and say, you can't be doing that in my church. He said, I gave her time to repent. And she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed. That's Jesus talking. After the resurrection. And those who commit adultery with her in the great tribulation, unless they repent. So he's trying to get everybody to repent from sinning, right? And then he says, I will kill her children. Who's going to do it? I know y'all don't want to say it. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds of the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to her works. Now, Ananias and Sapphira come in after the resurrection. A lot of people wish that was written before the resurrection. I mean, after the resurrection, acting all big like they gave everything, Peter said, hey, ain't no big, big deal whether you give everything or not. Just don't lie about it. Because he said, while you had the money, it's yours. You could give the tithe and go home. You could give the tithe and a big offering and go home. You don't have to give it all. It's your money. He was telling them. He said that. But they come in lying and act like they gave it all. And you know who dropped them dead? In the church house. The Holy Spirit did. Because Peter said, you didn't lie to me. You lied to the Holy Ghost. The fear of the Lord has left our nation. Let's just go ahead and say that. It has left this nation. But we're the last in line. I understand that. It's left every nation. The fear of the Lord has left much of our culture in all different ways. When I was growing up, the schools didn't do nothing on Sunday. And most of them wouldn't do nothing on Wednesday evening because they honored God's house. Things have changed, folks. We can argue about whether you think it's good or bad, but they've changed. We took the Ten Commandments out of the schools. We've taken the Ten Commandments out of courtrooms. We've tore them down in public places. You can have a statue of Satan in Oklahoma, but you can't have the Ten Commandments in a school. You can have the Arch of Balaam and Baal in New York, but you can't have a statue of Jesus somewhere next to the highway. We have lost the fear of God. And now it's crept into the church. Now you got homosexuals preaching out of the pulpits, transgenders preaching out of the pulpits. Now don't get nervous. I've been preaching against that before your cousin was that way, and I'm going to preach like that after that way. I'm not changing. I'm sticking with God's Word. Now, they can be loved. One of, some of my closest friends have, have lived lifestyles that are not godly, and they've gotten saved, and God's took some of them home and give some of them a new life. Greatest testimony you ever want to listen to for an inordinate sexual lifestyle is Dennis Jernigan. 
one of the biggest worship leaders in this country who lived an inordinate lifestyle and God saved him. And it's beautiful to hear how he talks about how God rescued him. Now he's got a wife and four children. God's able. He's able. Now I'm going to say something to you. When somebody says to you, I was born that way, just jump up and say, so was I. We're all born into sin. Every single one of us. That's not an excuse. We all, when we come to Christ, have to turn away from our sin. Whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's being a drunkard. It doesn't matter if it's being this or that. If you're going to follow Christ and be an overcomer, you've got to turn away from your sin. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Quit categorizing sin like this one's okay. And, that, and, and the church fell into that before the world did. We started categorizing sin and saying, oh, that's not bad and that's okay. That's not the way it works. All sin is ugly and nasty to God. He hates it all. Paul said if you break the law in one point, you break the whole law. So repent and turn to God. Can you say amen? amen? Then he says, she's the one that's... The, so he tries to get all of them to repent. It's not that he's not being fair. He said, I will kill our children with death. The church shall know that I am he who searches the hearts. I'll give to each one their works. Now to, uh, uh, to you and, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many have not had this doctrine, uh, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they, as, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast that which till I come... And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. There's that word overcome again. He shall rule over them with a rod of iron, shall be dashed into pieces of a potter's vessel, and I also receive from my Father and will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear. Then Jesus talks to the next two churches. Three, I'm sorry. He says in the church of Sardis, seven spirits, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be washed and strengthen the things which are remain, you may be ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, you've received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you, do not, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. So this church mostly was given over to the world. He really didn't encourage them, but just a few, a handful. And, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Pretty strong language. Didn't really encourage him very much because most of them were living with the world. Only a small group. It's a lot at stake though, right? See what he said? The angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and, and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word. There's the key. See that? Have kept my word, have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. And to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world. Now I'm going to run back over there. I mean, Luke 21 is my favorite place today where Jesus says, Don't be partying and drunkenness and let the cares of this life overtake you that that day comes and you not be aware of. This church, Philadelphia, is having revival. They don't get a rebuke. They're just the opposite of the last one we read. They didn't get any exhortation. They don't get a rebuke. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have 
that no one may take your crown. We're in a war. That's what I've been preaching for the last two weeks. We're in a war. This is a battle, and we need good instruction. We don't need to be told everything's all right when it's not. You know, they used to give uh, guys that got hurt on this is crazy stuff, I know. And find out the next morning they had uh, broke bones and stuff. But back when I, I played football, and actually before me, it was worse. Somebody got something. If they want to tape it up, they tape it up with duct tape and keep playing. One guy had a broke collarbone, didn't know it the next morning. He just duct taped, taped it up and kept playing. We, we got to be people who are soldiers. We can't just sit on the sideline every time there's a boo-boo. You cannot go feel sorry for yourself every time there's a boo-boo. And in fact, don't ever feel sorry for yourself. That is a trick and a trap of the, of the enemy. Don't be doing that. You're in a war. That means you're going to take some income and fire. And we got to be strong. And, then, and he says to this church, he didn't rebuke them. If it comes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He should go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, New Jerusalem. Comes down from heaven with my, on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This overcoming thing, same thing in every church. So you're going to have things, I'm going to have things, situations, battles, we're going to have to overcome. This final church, Laodicea. Angel, now, remember one church over here, Smyrna, they thought they were poor and miserable, and he said, you're rich. This church is going to do just the opposite. This is where America has to be careful. The angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. Now, that's been misread over the years. Some people have interpreted that horrifically, saying that God would rather you be really bad or, or really good, not in between. That's not what's being said there. God don't want anybody to be evil. It's not His will that any would perish, but all would come under repentance. He loves everybody. But these people made salve around here, and you needed cold water and hot water to liquefy and gel. And so if you weren't... You, they built viaducts around the city. And what the problem they had was they had hot springs and cold springs. By the time those waters came through those viaducts, they'd either warmed up too much or cooled off too much. They needed hot and cold so that they could do their process. And that's what God's saying. He's saying you need to be useful. They understood that. Obviously, because they lived in that culture. God's not saying you need to be really bad or really good. <laughs> that don't even sound right. But somehow that got preached out of pulpits. Uh, God's saying you need to be useful. And we need to be able to be used by Him. He said, I know your works are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I think how atrocious that sounds that God would maintain evil people in his mouth if they were really bad. That's, that doesn't even make sense. He's talking about their culture. They, they understood this. Now, that's the question, right? Are you lukewarm? Have you ever saw yourself get lukewarm? Years ago, when I was in school... I had stepped away from being the under-schoolers to going to more of where the older 
kids were. I was, that was my time in life to go on into that season. And so, you know, I had been more of a witness up to that point. Well, I got in there and kind of backed down a little bit, right? I was, I'd, I'd instead of being the older of the youngers, now I was the younger of the olders. And we were in school and something went on and I had let a lot of stuff go that I hadn't stood up and said anything. And uh, so this day I decided I would. So I stepped in and I said, hey man, now, that's, you're going too far. I'm a Christian. And they laughed in my face. You know why? Because I was getting lukewarm. I'd been faithful to that point, but I'd started getting lukewarm because I was a little bit intimidated being the younger guy and I was getting lukewarm. And I'll never forget that day. It was a moment. It was a good God moment because it really rebuked me. It was kind of like Abimelech rebuking Abraham and saying, what's going on? And that's how I felt. I left there rebuked, reproved by the world. They challenged me on whether I was a Christian or not. So are you lukewarm? Think about that. He said, I could wish you were cold or hot because you're not. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He calls them blind in this church. Now this church was rich in the natural realm, but poor spiritually. The other church was poor in the natural realm, but rich spiritually. Let's throw a couple of verses up there. Uh, throw uh, Matthew 6. Look what he says here. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. wonder what causes people to leave their first love. I think it's Luke 21. They get caught up in cares of this life. And they start being more concerned about things or situations than they do their spiritual journey. The greatest thing your family's ever going to be on is their spiritual journey. Amen. It's not wrong to have things, but it's wrong for those things to have us. Amen. And Watchman Nee says, I know I brought him up already once, he says, whatever you have, hold on to it loosely. God may ask it of you. He may ask you to give it away or share it with someone else. Whatever God has given you, you may be blessed. But just remember that He's the one that has the last say in our lives. Don't have anything in your life that God can't touch. Whatever that is. He should be able to touch anything in our lives. Then He goes on to say, because you say I'm rich, I said you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, I counsel you to buy me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So he took all their natural stuff and brought it into the spiritual realm. So when the Lord looked at His churches here, the persecuted church, Smyrna, was richer than Laodicea. They just couldn't see it. 
Both of them were struggling with it, right? Smyrna's under such heavy persecution. They, couldn't, they didn't realize how blessed and rich they were. And Laodicea was so consumed with the world, they didn't realize how poor they were. Now that's a word for all of us. Here's the thing, and I preach a message on this. I may preach it to you next week. The blind man was the only one who recognized the Messiah. Everybody else said he was a good teacher. But when he said, Son of David, and threw his cloak off as an act of faith, pisteo, and he said, Son of David, he called him by his title. It's sad to say, but the blind man was the only one that could see that day that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was walking down the road. Now, I, was, I wept when I read about Israel, when I saw how they had done the temple. I had not run across this much detail in my 30, 40-some years of study. I was ashamed. I couldn't stop crying. Because I thought, that's what we're doing to you, God. We just make you the catch-all for anything and everything. we got to get back to reverence in God. And walking by, the best way we can reverence God is doing His Word. That's the greatest display of affection we can show God is by doing His Word. Laodicea was lukewarm. They were... Rich, but really poor. Smyrna was poor, but really rich because they had the Lord on their side. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 6 before I close. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. We're going to do something different this morning. In verse 14 he says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them, walk among them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. And this is what the Pharisees started out doing in a right way. Says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean. How does that apply to our lives today? We've got to be careful. That old Sunday school song we used to sing, be careful little feet where you go, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little hands what you do. That's good theology. And he says, Come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. Almighty. I ended what I started with. The greatest privilege we have is to be His son and daughter. He's asking us to be separate. Now, how does that work for a Christian? Then I close. Jesus ate with sinners. He met up with sinners. He looked for sinners. 
but he didn't run with them. We all got to reach out. I have dinner. I'll have dinner with anybody if they're cooking. But we can't run with them. Christianity does separate us in some ways. It separates us because influence is peddled everywhere. Don't ever forget that. Influence is peddled everywhere. It's being peddled this morning. I'm trying to peddle influence with you, with God's Word. Paul said, I'm provoke them. I'm trying to provoke you to get serious about this stuff and follow His Word. I know many of you are. Maybe all of you, I hope. But influence is trying to be peddled every direction. They're trying to peddle it every form of media, everything. Everything you are, they're trying to influence you in some kind of way. So if you run with people that are being heavily influenced by the world and Satan, you got that stuff will rub off on you. Peter was influenced, remember that? You think it can't happen to you? He goes up, starts hanging out with the Gentiles because he knows that's what God told him, right? God said, don't you go talk to the Gentiles and preach the gospel to them because whatever I've cleansed, don't call unclean. And Peter's finally got the message, right? He, first he resisted, and no, I'm not going. And then he gets up there and he sees the Jews coming in and he runs over there to the other table and don't sit with the Gentiles. He gets rebuked. He got influence, right? He influenced the wrong direction. So you got to be careful. We all have to be careful. Now, I want you to know this before I close. If you study Moses' life, he banged up, beat up, failed, did crazy stuff. But he finished as an overcomer. Abraham, same thing. Lied, put his wife at risk, afraid, tried to make God's promise happen instead of waiting on God. Everything's stupid. But he was an overcomer when he quit. And then you know what? Maybe they'll look at your life, my life, and say, man, he done that stupid, that stupid, that stupid, he crazy bob. But we can all be overcomers. In the name of the Lord. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise.